Hello and welcome to the Lancet Oncology podcast. It's Tuesday, April 6th, and I'm Hannah Cagney. Today, we're discussing a systematic review on the very challenging topic of ethics within the setting of paediatric oncology trials. I'm joined on the line from Paris by two of the authors, Françoise Doz and Jean-Claude Dupont. Could you introduce yourselves? Yes, so I am Françoise Doz. I'm a paediatric oncologist at uh, Institut Curie in Paris and uh, professor of paediatrics at University Paris-Descartes. And I was the PI of the work package of European project, which was a network of excellence named ENCA, European Network for Cancer Research in Children and Adolescents. And this work package was devoted to ethics of clinical trials in pediatric cancer. And for this work, of course, all caregivers, MD and non-MD, are concerned by ethical questions every day. And I had the chance and the privilege to work with Jean-Claude Dupont as a philosopher. Yes, good morning. My name is Jean-Claude Dupont. Uh, I'm a philosopher by background, and I'm currently Deputy Director of the Hospinomics Chair at the Paris Hospital and Paris School of Economics. And work on ethics I've done with uh, François Do. Uh, during this work, I was postdoctoral researcher at Institut Curie within the ENC- this ENCA uh, FP7 uh, research project. Thank you. Now, listeners will probably be familiar with a couple of the ethical issues surrounding the recruitment of children into oncology trials. For example, misconceptions that patients, and particularly their parents, might have about the benefits of participating in research. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the background and rationale for doing this systematic review. The background is a clinical practice background. And either when we propose a study at diagnosis or when we have to propose a study for relapse or refractory disease, every time it raises issues, including misconception. And of course, we need to have and to build theory before being able to answer correctly in everyday clinical practice. Jean-Claude initiated the work with this very large literature review and can detail about the number of papers he had to read But then we decided to focus on the debates in medical journals and specific to pediatric oncology, which allowed to report on ethical issues in a systematic way and to provide the reader with results of direct relevance in daily clinical and research practice. And I'd like to add some background on uh, literature reviews uh, in ethics. It's really a basic requirement to conduct comprehensive evaluations in health, including all the non-clinical aspects of health and research interventions. The objective is really to deal with ethical aspects in terms of knowledge and really to make the difference between what can be held as clear and constraining and what is still uncertain or disputed. And based on this knowledge, it is possible to make decisions. We are better informed and also better justified uh, in daily clinical practice. And your review used some really innovative methodologies to systematically assess the ethical issues reported in the literature. And I really suggest that listeners go to the paper to have a look because that's really fascinating. But for now, could you take us through the main findings of your report? First of all, I think, again, going back to clinical practice, in fact, we have to consider that the mere fact to offer or not to offer inclusion in a clinical trial is already a matter of clinical decision-making and ethical debate within the team. And, of course, consideration is 
done is taken for the impact it can have on the child's interest, the family dynamics, and cancer experience. Professionals have to make sure inclusion is compatible with child's interest, best interest, and they have to anticipate and to mitigate the risk of family dispute and of parental regret, especially for early phase trials. And for those early phase trials, which are devoted to patients without non-efficient treatment in terms of cure, there is also an issue of respecting the patient's and the parent's trajectories in coping with the end of life. Sometimes there may also exist discrepancy between parents or between parents and child, and everything should be discussed within the team. We find that in the literature review, and it's very important for our clinical practice. I'd just like to mention a second main finding pertaining to the attention that authors paid to the real meaning of the consent and assent process. We know it's not only a matter of getting a written agreement, and all efforts that professionals have to make consist in making that the family can understand the research objectives, the research procedures, and also the risks and burdens which are tied to participating in the research. And uh, all these efforts aim at making that the family is able to uh, make a decision which reflects their values and preferences, and this is the very point of the authors in our review. There is a sharp contrast between everyday decisions and research decisions in this respect. Every day we make very personal and individual choices based on our preferences and values, and in the research context, to answer this very same question, what do you prefer, has to be the result of a highly rational and subtle communication process. And this process, it's very clear in our literature sample, this process is very demanding for the families, so we have to reflect on whether it is appropriate to offer participation to any family, and also this process is very demanding for the professionals. I wanted to ask, which ethical issues did you find to be the most commonly studied, and were there any issues that you think have been neglected in the studies included in your sample? So in the first place, our review shows that the authors addressed a majority of the ethical issues surrounding research ethics in general. We compared our results to a very large set of items and issues which are around the ethics of clinical trials. Maybe one caveat we have to make is regarding the legal issues, since we really focused on ethical issues at the expense of much more attention to regulatory issues. But this also advocates for widening the scope to non-medical journals when it comes to address a very particular issue. One field to which authors seem to pay the least attention in the pediatric oncology concerns the interface between the pediatric cancer research and what I would call the, the outside. For instance, there is little evidence in our sample concerning the representations and acceptability of pediatric cancer research in the general public. And we hypothesize that a better awareness in the general public about uh, pediatric cancer clinical trials might make it a little bit easier for families to make a choice when they are facing a very difficult situation, for instance, as it is maybe the case in organ donation. In the same way, we found very few developments about the appropriate professional behaviors once the clinical trial is completed or in case of research malpractice. And maybe a very last issue I'd like to mention 
is uh, about very few developments uh, or knowledge within the pediatric oncology community about the way ethical committees are working and are assessing research protocols. And our concern with this limitation is that it can cause misunderstandings and also make it harder for investigators in pediatric oncology to really know how to optimize the design. In your view, what are the most important questions that need to be addressed in the future? For me, the first avenue is about the, the epistemic concept of belief. For instance, we found in our uh, literature samples notions as uh, therapeutic optimism or therapeutic pessimism. And these notions are interesting because they introduce degrees where the notion of therapeutic misconception is maybe too binary to adapt to particular situations. And the question here for the clinician is how can we recognize and how can we regret such therapeutic optimism or therapeutic pessimism when it is unreasonable? And also, how can we identify uh, these unreasonable beliefs in the course of the consent conference? It raises a lot of uh, correlated normative issues, and it really challenges the ethics theory, because how can we address unreasonable beliefs in families so we can really enable them to make a better choice, a better decision? To answer this, this how can, can we articulate this uh, necessity to redress unreasonable beliefs with the imperative of staying neutral and, uh, and restraining from inducing a participation or discouraging or interfering with family choices. So th this very particular theoretical question is not quite clear currently. And another domain is due to the consequences of the current scientific and social evolution. And obviously now in cancer treatment, two main topics are arising. One is the development of molecularly targeted pathways and the second is the development of immunotherapy. And uh, they both may require to reconsider some long-standing ethical certainties regarding risk-benefit calculation and the, or the need for pre-data in adults or in pediatric preclinical models before considering development in children. And for instance, if a specific target of a new drug has been identified in a disease from a child, and if there are strong reasons for expecting a response in a patient because of this presence of the target, might it be ethically acceptable for professionals to strive to convince the patient and parents that participation is arguably in their best interest? And this can be very difficult, for instance, for a disease that we can cure with uh, the treatment already available right now. Are we sure that a new treatment on which we don't know anything about late effects is always better just because it has a very logical and scientific rationale to use. And on the other hand, the rise of family claims to access to clinical trials or, more difficult, to experimental compounds outside the context of clinical trials calls for generative evidence on the prevalence of such claims in pediatric oncology, the fit or the unfit between family preferences and the research setting, and alternative study designs or appropriate health outcome epidemiological studies that will allow to accommodate family preferences without impeding on the process of generating knowledge and especially on efficacy, but also on toxicity for future generations of patients. What do you think will be the biggest challenges in answering these questions? Really, as a clinician, the highest challenge is to conduct the right studies. And this is very difficult now because fortunately, there are many, many new drugs many new mechanisms of action, 
as I said, the signaling pathway within the cells, the epigenetic drug targets, the immunotherapy is rising very strongly in adults. So there are many, many drugs available. And fortunately, few children have cancer. And as you know, already now in high-income countries, at five years from diagnosis, more than 80% are living. So we have active treatment. We need to develop new treatments, first for those who are not able to cure right now, and also to try to reduce the late effects of current treatments. But we will not be able to study everything, every drug and single drug, and then in combination. So the biggest challenge is to select the right way to do, and certainly to develop the preclinical models that will allow us to have the best rationale to study a new drug or a new combination, and then to be able to select a given drug or a given combination within a clinical trial. And the current eSmart project, which is a European project where children can be offered access to different drugs from different companies according to the rationale we select in each child, is certainly a good uh, way to progress. I'd just like to identify three biggest challenges in the view of the collaboration between medicine and the social sciences and humanities. The first challenge is to really consist in identifying which are the data which are available currently in Europe on pediatric oncology and how the researchers in social sciences and humanities could better use it and access this data. A second challenge I'd like to identify is really to work together on how we can use all the methods which are available in uh, social sciences and the humanities in order to really optimize and minimize additional solicitations on small populations in pediatric oncology. Indeed, the difficulty is really to generate knowledge on non-medical aspects while minimizing the research fatigue in families and also while preventing any concurrence with clinical research projects. The last challenge I'd like to mention is really progressing together in the way we maximize and we promote involvement of patients and parents in the research process, uh, be it uh, clinical research and also uh, the, the research on non-medical aspects, because it's very important to identify that in pediatric oncology, a lot of parents representatives in particular are highly qualified, and also, as uh, Francois was mentioning, the high rates of cure in pediatric cancer, uh, there is a population of competent adults formerly cured for pediatric cancer, this population is rapidly growing, and pediatric oncology has strong assets in this view of involving patients and parents in all research processes. The real difficulty here is really to make this involvement sustainable for associations and also to make it compatible with their other activities. Francois, Jean-Claude, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can download the full article along with all our other content from thelancet.com. Thanks for listening, and from me, goodbye.